Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 79 of the Adventure Games Podcast. I hope everyone is well. And this week I'm joined by Jason Godby, the developer of The Search and Discolored. Now, uh, Laura and I both played Discolored and we both really enjoyed it. So uh, Jason was kind of talking about well, both his games and how he wanted to make Discolored different, tell a story differently without any dialogue and how he went about, how he w- went about that. And he also spoke about Apple Arcade as that game was also featured there and a little bit about the future as well so now this interview was done a few months ago it was pre-corona so if we're in a good mood then you probably know why we did not know what what was going to happen in the next few months um but i hope people enjoy so without further ado here is my interview with jason godby please enjoy thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the adventure games podcast I am here with Jason Godby today. Hello, Jason. How are you? Hey, doing well. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. I was telling you, I am just recovering from the flu, so uh, hopefully I won't be coughing too much. But um, I'm I'm doing better, thanks. You know, this still in winter, so <laughs> trying to get get over this. So. Uh, so you are you've made the search and most recently discolored, which I reviewed. And so it's delighted, you know, delighted to have you on the podcast to speak more about your games. And uh, but first, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and let us know what your favorite adventure games are. Hey, sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm Jason Godby. Um, I'm a game developer, but I'll start out as a an artist um so mainly influenced by uh mist uh, so that was really uh, the first adventure game i played and it just was so different than anything i'd ever played before uh, i mean there was um and it, it, these these worlds were just so immersive and i just it just felt like you know i was actually there when i played it. i mean the puzzles really didn't like speak to me at, at first um it was just more about the atmosphere the environments um and one interesting thing about that game is like because there really isn't any you know people you interact with really like i mean you see people like um you know like when you get pages for the books and that kind of thing but you know for the most part there's you know no one you really interact with and so i think what's cool is the developers uh they you know, put characters and, and injected so much personality into the environment, into the world that, you know, that became the character, you know, the ages, you know, they have very distinct uh, personalities, really. And so it's kind of the first game that I saw that ever did anything like that. And so that's, you know, to me, it was just so interesting. And, um, and then, you know, once I started doing uh digital art like in uh, 2003 or something i was 
you know, I, I just kept referencing that game in terms of like, you know, how, how did they do that? How did, you know, I guess just studying that game and just, and that, because that just had such a big influence on me. And, um, and so, you know, that definitely, Mist is definitely um, the biggest influence on, on me as like an artist and you know, as, as a game developer. Um, and, and I enjoyed other games too, like the, the Longest Journey in Siberia and, um, you know, not particularly in the adventure genre, but games like Silent Hill and Resident Evil, um, I enjoyed too, because they had some, you know, puzzle aspects as well, but the atmosphere in those games were really, you know, I think they really did a good job with, you know, the atmosphere and just getting a certain vibe, uh, in those games. Um, and so that kind of, uh, that's where, where it all started, really. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting you mentioned those games like Myst and Silent Hill and Resident Evil because all of those games have great atmosphere, um, as you mentioned, and then exploration as well and puzzles as well. And that's one thing I mentioned in my review of your game, Discolored, uh, which also had a great atmosphere. And um, so I, I can see now you know, where you got some of your inspirations, even though Discolored is a very different game, but, um, you know, great uh, game to be inspired by but it's also interesting you mentioned that Mist, you know the, one of the first games that had no other characters that the ages themselves were the characters and also the the worlds themselves were the story that you know you had to find out more of the story through you know finding these pages and exploring and resolving these puzzles because there were some people who said that no you know Mist doesn't have a story it's just puzzles but i don't agree with that i mean i haven't finished any of the Myst games, but I have read the books and I've read about Myst, and clearly there is a story to them. But yeah, so you said it became an artist first. Did you become an artist first in 2003? You yeah, mentioned. Um, yeah, pretty much. That's when I discovered uh, digital, like 3D art. Um, it's like never really had much background in traditional art, but once I discovered uh, uh, 3D art, you know, digital 3D art, um, it was a different kind of thing because uh, like I don't really have the best uh, dexterity in terms of like drawing like traditional art, but you don't really that limitation is kind of removed with 3D art because everything's just you know on on the computer you're just basically uh, you know pushing shapes and uh, around it's kind of like clay modeling if you will not to use an analogy but um, it's a lot of that work that you have to do uh, in terms of like having the good dexterity for, to get the right kind of shapes and easier to do on a computer. Um, but so that kind of opened up a new world for me. And what's interesting is that I, I the more I got into it, uh, the less I actually played video games for a while and the less I actually uh, watched movies and, uh, and TV because I just found it so fascinating. And I just kept coming up with, coming up with these different ideas uh, and just these different worlds I wanted to try and create, um, try to explore. Um, so it was actually kind of like for a while, I guess, um, one of the last games I remember playing uh, heavily was like Halo, like the original Halo. And... Um, I didn't get back into video games until maybe like uh, you know the app store you know was first 
introduced and games like the indie games you know really started to blow up like um you know like limbo and so it wasn't really until you know that game came out when i started to get back into video games and um and part of it was just i was just you know, i guess so so drawn to uh the art and just what i could do there it you know the kind of excitement i would originally get playing a really good video game i was getting just creating art um and was, one funny thing is uh when i had a job interview um at a game studio one time they were asking me like so what games have you played and uh, I, I was naming all these games from like the 90s and um they're like and then some, someone else that was supposed to be part of the interviewing process came in and was like so where are we now like we're just talking about the games he's played and we're still stuck in the 90s and this was like at the end of like this is like in 2009 when i had that interview and it's like this guy hasn't played any video games in the past decade like what's up with this guy um, and so but you know but actually you know fortunately i still got that job um but you know and in, in the game industry sometimes sometimes they do want you to you know play video games and know everything about um the games and it's like for example blizzard um at least i don't know if it's still like this there but they you know when interviewing people they typically ask you like you know what level are you in world of warcraft or that kind of thing and it's like they want you to you know play their games but not every game studio is like that um but anyway it's a it's a you know interesting aside about like you know how some studios work but yeah but you know you know just getting back to you know like my my inspirations then started to pick up again you know like when the indie uh game scene started to blow up because i started seeing like these different games being made and there's just more interesting kind of things being done uh where you didn't have to really think about the publishers and what they wanted you know developers could just kind of uh you know take creative risk and do something different do something interesting and um you know that that's one of the things i really enjoy about doing you know you know making these games the search and discolor just trying interesting things and um and i actually still have you know my other job i still have a full-time job you know i haven't gone full-time as an indie developer yet um uh you know maybe one day we'll see but um it's just because I think right now I'm still kind of exploring different ideas and, you know, I wouldn't want to, like, if I did quit my job, it's like, I feel there would be a pressure to kind of make a certain kind of game or th to minimize risk and maybe not try, you know, certain ideas because it might be too, too risky. Um, and then it becomes more about, you know, chasing the money instead of uh, it being an art, but, you know. But uh, we'll see. See how yeah. it goes. No, I, th I think I get what you mean because I, I you know, I can't imagine a big uh, developer, big uh, games company making a game like Discolored, for example, which is you know a very surreal game, and even like an adventure game developer, I'm not sure if you know they would make a game like that because you know there's you know it's very surreal. There's no dialogue, but then. It clearly has worked with people, but then, um, you know, it's pro probably safe to say that if this were your main job, that 
you mightn't be able mightn't be able to willing to take as many risks as you do now because you know do do you think probably that now say if you make a, one of these indie games if it doesn't work out but you still got this full-time job to fall back on yeah it's totally um yeah i guess i definitely playing it um you know safer you know doing it this way right because uh, there's yeah i mean unfortunately like yeah and i thank you for you know putting this podcast together and highlighting adventure games because adventure games really um when it comes to like other games like you know city builders or first person shooters you know they're not as popular adventure games just aren't as popular don't sell as well um you know because it's just not as popular of a genre and mm. you know, that's unfortunate um you know because I, I love adventure games but um and i know all of us do all of us listening but um it's uh and just kind of the way way things are currently in, in the industry but um you know but yeah i don't know maybe there there is sort of a uh shift coming where you see streaming services you know like apple that you know picked up discolored um to help you know and to put it on their platform and um it seems like what they're trying to do is you know shift things in a little bit of a different direction highlighting games that are interesting and so maybe developers could you know take more risks and do something interesting um if uh you know you know, Apple or I know with Xbox, I don't know, just like a uh, a similar thing Xbox or Microsoft is doing with Xbox Pass, I think. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's kind of an interesting time to see what's going to happen with like, you know, when the streaming services start to really take off and how that will affect how games will get made. Right, yeah, because, I mean, first of all, congratulations on having Discolored featured on Apple Arcade. You know, that's, uh, you know, a huge achievement for you as well, like a sole indie developer right. on Discolored, because even amongst adventure games, it's not one of the bigger adventure game releases, but clearly people at Apple, you know, really enjoyed it. So huge congratulations on that. Um, but yeah, as, as you mentioned, that, that we'll see because maybe people like Apple and uh, Microsoft, I mean, Google, Stadia, and other streaming devices, maybe they want, you know, more, uh, take more risks, maybe, you know, like Netflix now are taking risks now as well with, you know, the content that they provide, uh, some of it at least. And, uh, and yeah, and the thing about, you know, Adventure Game is certainly not as popular as you mentioned as City Builders or other genres, but. Uh, you know, there's so many adventure games out there. And, you know, even this past year at Adventure X, uh, they was the first time that they sold tickets and they sold out within seven hours. So, oh, nice. um, so there's clearly a market for it. But, yeah, you know, hopefully we can help to increase the market for it. Because I think that there is an untapped market, you know, because everyone loves stories, you know, whether it's reading books or watching Netflix or go going to the movies. But so I think almost anyone could enjoy adventure games. So I just guess it's, you know, we have to try and find a way to get these people to play adventure games. How did you manage to get this colored on Apple Arcade? You know, did you, was it something that you had to apply for? Did you have to fill out any forms or did somebody at Apple contact you and say, look, we'd like to put this on Apple Arcade or how was the process? Um, well, yeah, yeah, that totally came out of left field. I mean, I didn't uh, apply for 
uh, anything. Um, one, one day I just get this email from uh, one of the guys at Shifty Eye Games, and they actually have a relationship you know, working with Apple. They ported other games to the Apple Arcade, and so, um, and they saw my game. Uh, they were interested and, in, you know, asked if I was interested in putting putting it on Apple Arcade. So I was, you know, indie developer. I know opportunities like this don't come along very often. So I was like, sure, absolutely. Um, and so, uh, but I was I was a little hesitant first. I mean, because the game is short. I mean, it only take maybe like a couple hours to play through the whole thing if you don't, you know, cheat looking up walkthroughs or anything like that. Um, so I was a little concerned, you know, maybe they wouldn't go for it because it was so short or maybe they would want me to make a bunch of changes or whatever, but no, uh, it was pretty much just whatever I already had. Uh, and the game at that point when they approached me was you know, mostly done. So it was just a matter of making it work on all Apple devices. And so that's what we worked on for a few months is a few hectic months um, because it was mainly just uh, going to be on PC available uh, on Steam. So had to, in addition to, to doing that, um, make it available and on all work on all Apple devices and all up to spec on um, how, how it should work in the Apple Arcade store. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was totally a surprise, but, um, you know, one I'm really, yeah, thankful that happened and so um so yeah and one of the surprising things was that you know just getting more feedback uh from people playing it um is that you know they they want a sequel and that was something that was completely you know just, just surprised me because it's like okay i'll make this game then i don't know let's see what happens but i didn't really think about doing a sequel but then people just started asking about it and so you know, that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now. It's like, I don't want to say 100% for sure there'll be a sequel, but I would say there's a strong likelihood. Um, and I guess I shouldn't be too surprised since I kind of left it on a cliffhanger. And actually, when I told my, my wife about like how I ended the game. It's like, uh, yeah, I ended up on a cliffhanger. She's like, no, you didn't. No, no. <laughs> and she's like, because she she doesn't like it when there's like a cliffhanger on a TV show, and she'll be like, have to know what happens next and all that. And it's just like, oh, you didn't do that. But uh, yeah, she'll watch a whole season of like 24, it's like in a weekend. <laughs> That's what she she did for like in her college days. But um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, I guess what I was trying to do there is just try to find a different way to tell a story that um it's like in discolor there's no uh i used as little text as possible used mm -hmm. as few words as possible to try to tell the story and you know so um you see you know i would you know i saw other games that that did this i mean look at limbo um and then there's this other small game most people may not know about called midnight scenes uh, have you heard of that? I've I've heard of it. Now I, I won't lie and say I know a lot about it, but I've definitely heard of it. Yeah, so it's actually. But I don't know by, much about it. Yeah, so it actually was made by one of the artists uh, on Thimbleweed Park. Uh, his name is Octavi Navarro, 
And yeah, Midnight Scenes is a free game on itch. It only takes maybe like 10 to 15 minutes to play through. But I mean, to me, it's like just really, really well done, really, really amazing because it, it hardly uses any words to tell the story as well. Um, it has a very kind of Twilight Zone surreal vibe to it. Um, and, you know, for me, you know, it's like, even though it's like a 10 to 15 minutes, um, you know, it, it's just such a good experience. You know, I, I'd paid my, I'd paid money for that. Um, you know, and that's kind of, you know, and another, another thing I was thinking about with this color, it's like, well, you know, it's, you know, only a couple hours to play through. Um, but, you know, how can I make the experience, you know, memorable and enjoyable enough, um, to where, you know, people feel like, you know, you know, they get something from it and it's not just, you know, padded with a lot of stuff um, because, you know, I want to get to a certain game link, you know, thinking more about just the quality of the experience. Um, just, like, I, I actually don't have a whole lot of time to play video games as I used to. So it's like my choices are kind of limited. It's like I don't finish most of the games that I play. And so I guess I was kind of looking at it from that lens as well. It's like, and if I put together a game, you know, it's like I want people to finish it. Um, and, you know, can and the question was, can the experience be, you know, short and enjoyable? And, you know, I think the answer is yes. And, and so that was my, kind of my inspiration from playing Midnight Scenes. And, um, yeah, it's like other other games like Limbo, you know, do this thing. Uh, and The Witness as well, you know, where they... You know, just tell the story through the environment and um you know though it, though it can be kind of vague like um uh it's but 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 it is there it's like you know especially with discolored i think if you if you miss out on the secret achievements it may be harder to see where the story is but um yeah if you hunt around for the secret achievements you'll see more of what's going on in, in that world Okay, yeah, I think I'll have to see if I did uh, see the secret achievements. I'm not sure if I did or not. <laughs> um, but, no, I, I agree entirely that, you know, it is possible to make a short game, but really enjoyable game. And like like you said, we don't have as much time as we used to to play games. So when I saw your game that was designed to be played in one sitting, which you mentioned in the store page, I thought, oh, it's great. I can play a game in, in an evening. And so for me, that's a positive, you know, it, it, it's a kind of, yeah, kind of annoys me when I read comments or when I hear people say, oh, the game, it's too short, you know, it's two, three hours, it sh you know, should be free. I'm like, no, I think, first of all, two, three hours, I think if it's, if the game is done well and still has a full story, it can still be really good because in your game, Discolored, it still has a full story. And, you know, it didn't feel too short. The length felt right to me. So, and I was able to finish it. So, so that, that for me was a plus as well. Um, so, yeah, no, I have to check out Midnight Teens. I think another developer I was speaking with mentioned the game. Uh, but I have to check it out. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's got yeah. another game. Uh, yeah, another game called The Librarian that does something similar, you know, not using any words to tell the story. Um, and he actually has, uh, there's like an episode two of Midnight Scenes, but that actually does have uh, a lot of text in telling the story, but it's still just as good. 
Histo, yeah, really good. Just a good, a good story, good atmosphere, a good vibe. Um, so yeah, definitely recommend checking out his games. Okay, yeah, I think I actually downloaded the librarian. <laughs> I have it on my desktop somewhere, so I'll have to check it out. Um, so, okay, so now with we've spoken about your game Discord a little bit that there's not not much dialogue. Now before we get to the story, suppose was there any you know, had you decided from the beginning that you didn't want as many dialogue, as little dialogue as possible? And um, then you probably already answered the question, but what was it, you know, challenging to tell a story this way? Yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was, but I think it was, it was an interesting challenge because um, I think it's just one of the constraints that I wanted to place on myself to see what would happen see what I could do with it because um, it's very similar to well like well, I'll, I'll say I in my first game the search you know is more is more dialogue heavy and I felt like you know there was a lot of time spent on that and I wanted to see if I could get away with telling a story or just sharing an idea you know without without using words or using as few words as possible. Um, so it was just kind of an, the whole experience or in developing Discolored was a, more of an exercise in minimalism, really, because you know, there's you know, very, very little text um, in ways of telling the story. And there's also very little detail in terms of like the, you know, the textures with the environment. It's very open, it's very empty. And that was also another, uh, you know, thing I had going into it. Because with the search, my first game, it was very detailed, like just detail everywhere, everywhere. And you know, at, when I was done with the game, I was looking back, I was like, well, how much of that detail was actually necessary? You know, how much of that dialogue was actually necessary? Even though, um, you know, I, I had Sissy Jones do the voiceover for the dialogue in the search. She did a great job, um, but you know, I was thinking like, well, could I do it another way? You know, what what is really necessary, and what can I get away with? You know, so it was just kind of thinking about ways to strip down and get to, you know, the essence of you know, of a game really. And uh, so, yeah, it, it was a good challenge. It was it was fun, and I think you know, I have some ideas of how I can. You know, further that maybe for the next one. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just you know, really with the artwork as well. I just you know, you see so many triple AAA games and focusing on you know the smallest little details. Um, you know, but the player you know may not really uh, notice that or remember it. You know, what they remember is more the overall experience. Um, so, but, you know, I guess, you know, for me, I'm not really trying to compete with like AAA games or anything like that. It's just, but I was kind of sort of approaching it uh, in that way uh, with the search and you know, just thinking about, you know, all the details that, you know, I could add. And I guess it was just from years of being in the game industry and, you know, having, you know, doing art with so much detail. And so I had to kind of unlearn that back away and say well is this really really necessary and you see it you know like 
you see games like Limbo do the same thing, where it's like it's very stripped down, and it's more about the atmosphere, and you, know, you focus on the shapes than the silhouettes, and um, and it's all all about the lighting and creating the right kind of atmosphere, and and I think stripping away stuff that's really not you know essential, you can kind of focus on just making a better game overall, because um, I mean just making games is really really hard to begin with and um, very very time consuming. Um, so to be able to remove any of those kind of you know roadblocks or things that maybe aren't going to contribute as much uh, to the game. It's like I'm always kind of looking for, for, for ways to do that. Um, so, and yeah, that kind of makes me think of uh, another another reason why games are so, uh, or just take so long to make or just are so hard to make in general is just because of just the creative process is just so fluid and sometimes you don't really know if an idea is going to work until you get it, uh, you know, on paper or like actually try it out. Um, so, I don't know, and it makes me think of this one book. Uh, do you know? Have you uh, read the book Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull? It's like the president of Pixar. Oh no, I haven't actually, but I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. So it's really, that book is really interesting, and it gives gives a good glimpse in you know, Pixar, you know, how Pixar started and how Pixar works. Uh, but it, it can be applied to a lot of a lot of creative industries and like the game industry, and just how why why it's so hard to make a game, and so why it's so hard to make a movie. Um, that gives you really good insight into into that, and a lot of it has to do with just you know sometimes just an idea you don't know if it's going to work until you actually try to execute it and it may look good on paper it may look you know, sound good you know when you tell somebody else but when you actually go to implement the idea there may be you know so many things you just didn't think of it's like oh yeah this doesn't really work as well as i thought it would and um and so it's no matter how well you plan for a project, how well you plan for a game, uh, there's always going to be things you overlook and you know, things you just didn't think of. And so, you know, that's why games just are always delayed because um, there's just so many things that you know, come up that are unexpected. And, you know, even, even no matter how well you plan. Um, so it's always good, I think. And it's like, what you know, I'm still kind of getting the hang of, hang of this with my games. Just like give myself an extra, you know, two to maybe even three times, you know, what I originally estimate is going to take to complete a game. And so, I mean, that I guess that's another thing about making games that are intentionally short, is that, you know, like with this color, I was thinking, oh, maybe it'll take like a year to make it. But it ended up taking two years. Um, so, but imagine if I had scoped it out for like two years, and then it takes like four or five years, mm. which isn't uncommon for a lot of games, um, you know. And then, you know, you're, you know, like if a big game studio had run into that, it was like, well, we can't keep development going for, you know, another two to three years, so we just got to cut a bunch of stuff, and then the quality suffers. Um, and then, you know, maybe they make a game 
they get to the point where they just want to finish the game and they don't really care as much about the quality. Um, but Pixar had, you know, Pixar being Pixar, having a lot of you know, success and, and are able to, I guess, maybe do more of that kind of thing where, where they say, oh, this movie isn't really quite working. Let's go back to the drawing board. And they've actually done that quite a bit. Um, in the in the book, uh, Ed Catmull gives an example of how in pretty much every Pixar movie, except for Toy Story 3, they had to take a big chunk of what they had already done and just throw it away and start over because, you know, it's like once you see it, you know, as it is, you know, when you get the idea out there, you know, maybe it's not quite what you thought it would be. And um, so, yeah, one, uh, you know, interesting thing, too, is that, you know, Pixar relies on a lot of feedback, a lot of, they rely on people to, you know, working on the film to, you know, give active feedback on what they think is working and what is not. Um, and so, and depending on, uh, and, and, you know, that definitely could benefit a lot of games and actually try to do this for Discolored as well, where um, when I was done with the demo, I, actually, I sent you the demo. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So when I was done with the demo, I was sending it out to just like a bunch of people, like I uh, had just like a giveaway where, you know, I'd send people the key to the demo as long as they would give me feedback on what they liked about it, what they didn't like, uh, and how they think the game could be improved, you know, based on the demo. It wasn't, you know, the whole two hours or whatever. It was just like maybe uh, 15, 20 minutes of the game um, and just getting, getting feedback based on that. And so, but that helped tremendously in, in the early because um, I was thinking like, okay, I could probably release this, release the game and, you know, three months after I share the demo with everybody and get the feedback. But the feedback I got was just so valuable. I was like, uh, I, yeah, I can't release it, you know, three months from now. I got, I got a lot of work to do. Um, and so, you know, it took maybe an extra six months, you know, which isn't, isn't too bad actually. But, um, you know, I think that time was well spent and that the effort was well worth it to just see where the game was because it's hard to to see it you know, from the creator's perspective because you're just so close to it. You know, you're staring at it all the time. And, um, and so, yeah, you'll see in the credits of this color, there's like a hundred, over a hundred different community testers. And the, those are the people that all gave me feedback and like, the demos, like how can it be improved? And so, yeah, just so grateful that, you know, that many people, I guess, you know, cared enough to, you know, provide that feedback. And um, it was also a good way to build a community early in just getting the games, uh, I guess, you know, presence out there and getting it known uh, leading up to launch too, because, and if you look at this color, there's not really a whole lot of things that um, you know, have really strong hooks just from like screenshots or GIFs or videos. You know, it's really more like, you know, pretty environments, pretty scenes. But I've had a lot of people say that, you know, once they played the demo, it's like, oh, but it really wasn't sure what this game was about. But when I played the demo, it was, yeah, it was really interesting. I'm looking forward to playing the full game. So 
it was kind of in, a good way to also uh, introduce people to a game maybe they wouldn't have ever bothered with to begin with you know just give them a free demo and you know especially if the games you know other games may not have a strong hook visually from the outside like through screenshots or gifs being able to show that hook to them by actually having them play the game is another good way to you know i guess find an audience that way and so i was just like giving the demo out you know to people like like candy um <laughs> just wherever i could you know it's the reddit you know all these free game sites um and so i think that that, that really helped it really helped um and i guess furthering the ideas and then um just getting the word out because it's hard it's hard to just market a game in general and so um this was something that was a big help early on right yeah and i can imagine that it gets people interested in the game and help them find out about the game and well your game ended up on apple arcade so yeah. it uh, seemed to work that way um and you also mentioned how you spoke about, you know, you spoke about, you know, does the idea work like on paper and then when you start uh, working on it, especially with an idea like yours for Discolored, it's a, you know, a game of story that's so surreal and then visual, you know, because uh, how, how did you come up with, uh, with the idea for the story with, you know, different colors and, uh, you know, the mystery behind it? Because it, it's a fascinating idea, but I'm just curious how because I don't think I could come up with an idea like that. Um, so maybe first of all, maybe better to give people um, an idea what the story is, and then say how you came up with the idea, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So because it's, it's a fascinating idea. Like there's, you talk about the hook, you know, to the game. I generally don't think there's any game or any story that I've come across that particularly like this this one in this color. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um... Well, the idea was a lot of the influence of, uh, of it was based off this. Uh, I wanted to give off there this surreal Twilight Zone vibe, um, and I mean, well, I don't. I see. I'm trying to explain it in a way where it's not going to be too many spoilers. <laughs> but basically, the whole idea about the game is you have to that all the colors of the world have disappeared and you have to bring them back find a way to bring them back and so you're basically this detective who is uh being assigned to go to this place out in the middle of nowhere in in the desert and you know there's supposed to be clues around how to bring colors back to the world and so i think a lot of this was based off the i You'll see a lot, if you play the search, you'll see some similar themes going on in that game that I built on in Discolored. Um, so there's, I mean, as for where the idea came from, it's like uh, there's, uh, it's it's just something that kind of came to me um, in terms of, you know, the use how to. Uh, I don't know. I guess I was just looking for something interesting. To kind of, you know, in terms of like gameplay mechanics, because there's a lot of off the wall stuff in there. In terms, of, <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, I don't want to like give away too much, but it's like, uh, but yeah, it's very otherworldly and very like some people have said it reminds them of Twin Peaks or something by David mm -hmm. Lynch. Um, I think you mentioned 
it's like there, there's a podcast that's it's kind of reminded you of that uh welcome to night vale exactly yes yeah, so i just felt you know with the whole atmosphere that it just felt like it would be one of the segments in welcome to night vale right right yeah. Where uh, Cecil Baldwin would say in other in other news, the colors of the world have gone missing. I'm to send a detective. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the references like that are, are surprising to me because I didn't really have like I've only seen a few episodes of Twin Peaks. I know you know a little bit about David Lynch's work, but most of it was influenced by uh, the Twilight Zone or sci-fi novels like from Ray Bradbury or, uh, you know, George Orwell's 1984. Uh, and so there's kind of this, you know, sin, there's sort of a sinister, but, um, vibe to it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, but, uh, there's also a little, I also wanted to create a sense of wonder. It's like, um, just, and that's kind of where some of this off the wall stuff comes into play where it's like, Oh, you, thought it you know you thought it was going to be like this but it's actually this weird surreal puzzle that you're trying to solve it's not really everything is not as it seems um so i think that's where a lot of the idea came from this is trying to surprise the player and leave the player with a sense of wonder um as they're playing through the game yeah no Definitely, and I did, you know, there, I, I, I don't know if maybe it's a puzzle you mean, without giving spoilers, you know, which involves the moon, maybe, that's when I yeah. felt, oh, wow, you know, nearly anything goes in this game. Right, it's, right. Uh, <laughs> and it kind of, you know, made sense within the game, you know, like, even if you try to describe it, um, you know, which I won't, because I won't, don't want to give any spoilers, but even within the game, I thought, okay, no, this kind of makes sense within this game's environment. So, but I'm like, okay, maybe this is how you're supposed to think for these puzzles. So, okay. Um, but, no, I, you know, it's also a very visual game in the sense that you, you imagine it's very, I think, minimalistic, which I don't know that's the word, but, um, yeah. you know, certainly compared to AAA games, you know, certainly. But even though it is, you know, minimal, I think the, the game is very visual. It's very visually striking. Even when it's, when there are no colors, it still looks very pretty, very nice. And then when it changes colors as well, it, uh, what struck me was how nice it looked, but also how the environment changed a little bit, you know, subtle changes that you had to, you know, had to be very observant in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, um, so were these, you know, like the types of puzzles that you were coming up with in the game, you know, was this from the beginning that you thought of some of these puzzles? Um, so, well, I guess a lot of it was just, I came up with the puzzles as, you know, as, you know, right in development. And some of the puzzles, right. like that moon puzzle, for example, I actually, like, had a dream one night that was very similar to the moon puzzle that you see in the final game. And so that one came from a dream. Um, so that I just, like, woke up and was like, oh, wow, I got to, like, put that in a game. <laughs> so that was just, yeah. So, I mean, you know, stuff like that will happen where, um you know, just have an idea come to me for a puzzle or, you know, sometimes like I find it's really helpful for me to just start out writing an idea for a puzzle. And then, you know, and then I just ask myself questions, you know, writing it out. And I find that it's, that works better for me than just kind of, you know, walking around the house, brainstorming ideas. If I, 
actually ask myself questions, write out questions for myself, you know, for myself to answer. I can get, I don't know, the ideas kind of flow better for me that way, um, rather than just kind of, oh, what about this? And just think about it for a while. But if there's just something about, you know, putting it on paper for me that, um, so I can, I don't know, see it somehow, just get it out of my head somehow. That that flows a lot better for me in terms of like coming up with ideas for puzzles or just the story or anything really. You know, even outside of games. Right. Yeah. Okay. No, well, it's certainly seems to have worked because you know you mentioned with, speaking of the moon puzzle, which came from a dream, which doesn't really surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's. Uh, you know, because it's, it's funny, I think since the game itself is surreal and you kind of know from the very beginning that, okay, this game is surreal, this is kind of how it is, and then it keeps surprising you. But, you know, the puzzles, you know, they made sense in a way. There was, no, was no time where I thought, oh, this, you know, doesn't make sense. I mean, not like this would never have happened, you know, because that's not really the question that you're supposed to ask in the game. But I thought, okay, there's, you know, there's because, you, know, you know, there's some games where, you're stuck in puzzles and then you're like, oh, you know, how are we supposed to figure that out? I never really felt like that. Um, you know, I felt like some of the puzzles were indeed challenging, that you had to be, as I mentioned, very observant in the world, that with uh, changing colors, that the environment changes a little bit, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that you might get some clues then depending on what colors are on. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, no, definitely there are some very inventive puzzles in the game. And... Um, and now you also spoke. Uh, don't think we spoke about the soundtrack because first of all, it was it felt kind of eerie, kind of, and then the soundtrack, the music was I remember being really nice as well. Did did you do the music as well yourself, or did you get somebody else to do the music? Um, yeah, I got other people to do the music, and basically I uh, licensed out uh, most of the tracks. Um, and then one of the guys at Shifty Eye Games helped out with a couple of other tracks towards the end. So, uh, so yeah. So between so this one composer named Chad Lawson, he actually does music for uh, another podcast uh, called Lore, uh, and that podcast is kind of it's kind of like a ghost stories but real life kind of uh, situations real life happenings, I guess, that are kind of like ghost stories. Um, and so I really liked his work on that podcast and listening to his, some of his other stuff. Um, you know, I felt like some of that fit well with the game, the game's atmosphere. And then, um, so yeah, I had, you know, I guess he has a website where you can license music, his music. So I just did that. And then, um, another composer, Keith Kenneth, uh, he also goes under, goes by Goldman, and has one album that I just absolutely love. It's called the the Lady of uh, no Lady of Elegance. Yeah, I think Milady of Elegance. Um, so there's yeah, a lot of piano work on that, but it's really beautiful stuff, and there's a lot of the a lot of the eerie uh, kind of yeah, I guess sort of creepy music from the game came from that album. Um, and so I just basically contacted him asking if I could use some of those tracks for the game. And he was like, yeah, sure. 
Um, and of course, you know, paid him fairly for it as well. And so, so yeah, I mean, those are, you know, I guess just going by stuff that I thought would, would work well for the game. Cause it, it does take a while to, you know, compose like, you know, I, I've dabbled in music here and there, but I'm by no means like a good, I would consider myself, you know, that, that well, you know, that good enough to, you know, put something together, you know, of that caliber that, uh, you know, you hear in the game. So I felt like it was easier just to find people that, you know, had already done something that I, that I enjoy or um, some somebody that, you know, just knows their craft, you know, really well. So, you know, that's how that came about. Right. Okay. Well, it seems to have worked anyway that, uh, you know, the tracks uh, seem to, be, you know, take the right ones or the, you know, the best ones. But um, but but yeah no that's uh, well that that's great to know so I've heard of the other podcast lore which I haven't listened to yet but I have to check it out um, and now you spoke beginning of the interview as well that this game kind of finishes on a cliffhanger although I think it's important to say that this section of the story it is complete you know there is a resolution to it but then there's maybe more to it than first beats the eye so now you mentioned that people were asking for a sequel. Um, do you, you know, I know you mentioned that you were still working on it, but do you have any ideas of where you could take the story forward next? Um, yeah, I have a couple of ideas. I don't want to give too much away. Um, sure, of course. <laughs> especially if it doesn't, especially if I change my mind later. You know, of course, but, yes. But, uh, yeah, I have a few ideas of where, where it could go. So, um, yeah, and. I'm kind of like doing that that thing, you know, where I mentioned before, just asking myself questions and then just writing out, um, you know, where I think it can go. So things, yeah, yeah, I got a few ideas of where it could go. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. So hopefully I'll be able to get started on that. Yeah, well, I'm one of these people who would definitely want a sequel as well uh, because I really enjoyed it and then the end i was like oh i want to know what happens you know what more happens you know what more into this world so i yeah. look forward to hearing uh, about that now you also spoke about the game the search which was your first game i believe uh this was before discolored and you know slightly different in the sense that it's uh, i believe it's a narrative uh story driven puzzle adventure with dialogue and with voice acting uh, first of all, what, what can you tell us of the story of this game or the setting of this game? Yeah, well, the search is basically, I, I'd call it more of a philosophical adventure rather than just like a traditional adventure game because uh, it's kind of heavy on the philosophy. Um, it shares ideas from like Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely not for everybody. I knew it wouldn't be for everybody. And, you know, again, just kind of going back to that idea of like, you know, one want to make a game that's kind of interesting and be able to, you know, take a risk and not have to worry about the consequences of, you know, whether or not people, you know, it's going to be like a big seller or whatever. So this is kind of a different, it has a different angle to it, but it's, uh, I guess, overall, the idea is this it's from an artist's perspective. So uh, the artist is, you know, seek, seeking, I guess, um, a higher kind of 
purpose or uh, you know seek and it is it's all kind of metaphorical as well there's again trying to use the environment to you know tell a story in addition to the narrative that's there so there's uh, things in the environment uh, that can be seen as uh, metaphors and uh, especially towards the end of the game at the very end of the game some people have been like well why in the world I don't want to spoil this but yeah you know, why, why did the controls change the way they changed at the end of the game so that's actually a metaphor um, but I won't say too much more about that <laughs> spoilers but um, but yeah I mean it was it was kind of experimental um, but fun to make nonetheless but again kind of looking back at that game as thinking of um, you know thinking about what was actually needed and what wasn't needed and um, looking forward to discolored just trying to find ways of focusing my attention on things that uh, will bring I don't know I guess make it easier for me as a developer but also make it more enjoyable for the player as well so I can focus on the things that you know will be more enjoyable rather than you know looking at all the you know detail as nice as it is um, you know really all I'd I wanted to focus on discolored is, you know, getting a good uh, atmosphere and focusing on the lighting. And um, if I can get away with that, then, um, you know, I think, you know, if I can nail that, that's pretty much the the core of what you need. Like with, uh, I know I'm kind of digressing here, but it's an interesting kind of story with one of the game studios I worked at we were working on PSP games. I was doing like a, we we're doing a, a God of War game and we had got some assets from Sony uh, from their previous God of War games. And they, uh, and the art director was telling me they were looking through all the Sony's assets and they're kind of laughing at how low quality or low resolution some of the textures were. But then when they put it under the right lighting when they turned on the lighting and then they were just really impressed because it's like oh yeah the, the, it's all about the lighting really you know with the right lighting you can have muddy looking textures but you know the textures still look good or the game still looks good you know because you have the right kind of lighting um but anyway that's um it's one of the one of the things that i kind of was trying to do with this color is just yeah focus you know what is that uh, what is essential what i can what can i get away with whereas you know the search you know which is you know i'm still you know glad that, that i made that uh, it was it was kind of experimental in, in the way that i went about it but um still it was, it was you know a pretty enjoyable experience in my mind right yeah, so it's your first game and then it led on to discolored then as well mm -hmm. so um, you know, think if nothing else, we can be grateful for that. But no, it sounds again sounds interesting, and um, it, you know, you you also mentioned that you worked with Sissy Jones, who provided a voice, I believe, on the Walking Dead on Firewatch, Life is Strange, and uh, you know, she's a pretty much a big star, at least in a you know, the, I think the voice acting. Uh, scene. Uh, how did you manage to get her to provide a voice on your game? You know, how did you get in contact with her? Yeah. Well, basically, I just asked her, you know, are you available? And you know, what's your what's your rate? And 
<laughs> that was it really okay uh, so, but uh i sent her like the script and told her what the game was about you know she was uh you know she said yeah i'm in um so she was just so much fun so fun to work with because she i didn't really have to do much i just said here's the script and this is kind of what i'm thinking um you know this sort of artist exploring these ideas and you know, reacting to what, like in the search, there's different notes you find, um, and there's and and there's commentary about uh, the notes. And so the, the notes are actually supposed to be left by, I guess, this unseen person. He um, calls himself the Invisible. Um, and so there's uh, dialogue or this sort of reflection based on what these notes say, you know, so that's a lot of what she did. She, so she was doing voiceover for reading the notes and voiceover for uh, commentary on, you know, what is seen, um, you know, in the environment and through the notes. Um, but it was just so much fun because, you know, she just, she's so good at what she does. Like, I didn't really have to do much except explain what it's about and then just let her do her job and, it's just like came out just so perfect. Um, and it, was, it was just a lot of fun. Yes, no, I mean, I can imagine when you have someone of her talent that you know, it's great to go, okay, now this is it, so off you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, did, did you work with her in person or was it, uh, you know, through, through computer? Yeah, it was through, uh, through, uh, through Skype. Through Skype, yeah. yeah. It's been a while, but yeah, it was definitely remote. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's kind of a common thing uh, as what, from what I understand, you know, that's, um, you know, a lot of voice actors. Yeah, I was doing a lot of research on, you know, Sissy was, wasn't really the first person, I mean, I really wanted her to do it, um, you know, but I was thinking first, oh, I don't know if she's going to go for it, you know, she's like, really, probably really busy, has the bigger games that she's going to be working on, I'm going to have time. So I was looking at other voice actors as well, um, to different uh, sites, and um, yeah, most of them they can just work out of their home, and uh, you know, you send them the script, and they can, you know, you can be on call with them, and you know, they'll save the line, and if you like it, you know, give it thumbs up, or if you want it delivered a different way, you can tell them like on the fly, and uh, you know, once they're done. They, they just send you the file, you know, or a bunch of files with uh, all the lines that you approved. So, yeah, it's uh, really interesting, um, you know, that that industry. It's just like you can kind of just be anywhere. If you're good enough to just get, you know, all the work uh, um, you need. Yeah, that's, I guess that's cool. Again, working from, from your home. A lot of actors I've heard have basically their own sound studios in their home, so... <laughs> that that helps as well. Um, okay, then I meant to ask you about this color as well because one thing that I noticed and that I liked anyway is you know the the clue system, the hint system in the game, which is I can't remember the name of it, but you have that uh, that thing where you can see kind of the viewer. The, what's it called again? Sorry. Um. Well, I just called it a, the viewer in the game, but it's actually a stereoscope. Yes. Um, the proper name for it's a stereoscope, um, where 
Okay, yeah, I remember you had the viewer in the game. Um, did, did that come? Did you include us in the game after feedback, or was this? Did you come up with this idea earlier on in the process, or how did you come up with this idea for in the game? Yeah, a lot of it was just due to feedback, and I realized, oh, okay, yeah, this is going to be too hard for some people to figure out, you know, uh, based on even the comments I got. So I was like, okay, maybe I can add a little, add, add a hint system or some semblance of a hint system. Um, but I still wanted it to not be too direct mm. um, because it's a short game, right? And so I felt like, I don't know, I guess from my perspective, it's like, I mean, it, it's really bad to think about, like, oh, yeah, it's easy, but, you know, I made it, so it's easy to me, but someone who <laughs> doesn't know anything and just coming at this from the very first time, you know, they're not going to, you know, you know, might need a little, little hint. It's just funny because in every single spot, I think there's always been somebody that's gotten stuck, like every puzzle, uh, there's no puzzle, I, I think, where, you know, I didn't have anybody ask, well, how, what am I supposed to do here? Um, and so that just kind of goes to show, it's like, well, okay, it would be nice to have a little bit of help. Um, so that's when I, I just decided to do it because of that. And it's actually um, based off of a really old PS1 game called Galarians. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but... I haven't, um, actually, and I have a PS1 at home. <laughs> Yeah, so there's this, it's based off of like the old Resident Evil games. It plays like an old Resident Evil game with the tank controls and everything. And you're kind of this uh, boy in a facility that's being experimented on and you have these psychic powers and you can, um, you know, I guess you have these, you know, they've been giving him drugs or whatever that they give him certain psychic powers and so one of the things that you can do is like you can kind of investigate certain parts of the level and you'll be you know then you'll have there'll be a pop-up or a screen that comes up that shows you what happened here or what needs to happen here and so that's kind of where that idea came from that's one of my yeah that game came out like i don't know 2000 2001 or something it's a pretty old game but it's one of my favorites um, just because, you know, yeah, I really like the ideas in that game and the atmosphere of that game is pretty cool too. It's, I mean, it's not super creepy, uh, but it still has this kind of uh, sci-fi sort of dystopian kind of vibe to it. And it's like really set way in the future. Um, and it's, you know, these Galarians are basically like these people with these psychic abilities and they uh you know some people are uh i guess this organization is kind of out to experiment on them and that kind of stuff and so uh, anyway yeah that's kind of where that idea came from it's a really cool game uh you ever get a chance to check it out yeah i'll have to check it out but um but certainly with uh with the scholar with the viewer i think it does work because it's you know as you mentioned it, it doesn't give you the answer and it doesn't tell you exactly you know, what to do. It just kind of points you kind of in the right direction in some places. Um, so that kind of, you know, I think works works that way. Because as I mentioned, it's a short game, so I didn't want to give the full answer. <laughs> yeah. They do this with this subject here and in this place, and then you get this 
which you can use here. Um, because that, then, you know, like there is a, you know, there's a point of discovery in the in scholar when you find, you know, when you change a color and then you like, oh, so you can get this object and then maybe go downstairs and use it here, you know, and then that's, I think part of the fun is find it, figure it out for yourself. So, but, uh, but the viewer kind of helped nudge me in the right direction a few times, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially, I guess, parts where, I mean, this might be a little bit of a spoiler, but that's okay. Um, parts where you have to look up, like, mm. people. Uh, <laughs> one, one guy was telling me, like, I had the guy that did the trailer for me. He was like, you, you sneaky game developer, you added some, you put in a part where you have to look up. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like looking up is a problem <laughs> what, what is that a problem it's like well it's just not something that people normally do and uh when you're playing like a first person game mm. walk around and people don't normally look up so um but yeah that was kind of unintentional but it was surprised how many people got stuck at that part <laughs> but yeah then then uh you know but there's a hint for that too so um yeah. Right. After I added the hint part in, uh, I got fewer comments about that. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, because it kind of surprised me when I read some comments as well. Because as I said, you know, I found it, you know, challenging, but um, you know, not overtly so. But definitely had to think about the puzzles in the game. And then you know, I read some of the comments, and some people say, "Oh, this game is very easy." I'm like. Whoa, okay. I'm. Right. I mean, I'm happy for you, but when I say this game is too easy, I'm like, I didn't think so. Right. <laughs> you know. The, <laughs> yeah. So I guess you know it's very. Uh, you know what? What's it? Uh, so objective. You know, or people. You know, some people find you know it's possible to please everyone. I guess. Oh, exactly, exactly. I mean, I was surprised too. Some people said <laughs> that it was too easy. Some people said it was impossibly difficult. And yeah, it's like you can't win. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it, as a game developer, you should try not to please everybody. You're never gonna win. Um, right. So, I mean, but that's probably a good advice in life in general too. So um, exactly, I'd say just follow your own instincts. Right. Exactly. The main part, and then see what feedback you get, which you think is valuable, and then. Or from the people who you think give valuable feedback and yeah yeah i mean the thing is like i was patching the game you know all along the way well up into launch and even post-launch uh you know just this past weekend i um was patching the game to make you know some parts i guess more easy to understand um you know so based on you know, i'm still you know looking for ways to improve uh and the game, but just you know, those kind of things too will help me later on as I make more games and think about, oh yeah, because so people might have a problem, you know, understanding this part, so I should include, you know, a small pop up, but you know, not so obvious to, you know, be a spoiler or just to give the answer away. So right. So, but yeah, it's it's interesting. Like you have. It's it was, the feedback is all over the spectrum when it comes to it. <laughs> it's too easy, it's you know too hard, and it's just like I had one person say the clue system, the hints were you know, did didn't need to be there at all because it was you know too easy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but 
but yeah, uh, I, I think it just comes down to like your, you know, if a person's kind of used to playing these kind of games, you know, versus someone that's more of a casual gamer coming into it, you know, and I think it's easier for the more experienced, you know, player if they've kind of, ex, you know, experienced that kind of surreal or just puzzle or just played a lot of puzzle games in general. Um, easier for them to pick up rather than someone who, who hasn't. Right. No, I definitely get you. And but yeah, no, I, I think a lot of it as well is that sometimes fans we don't know what we want. <laughs> that you know, as you mentioned, it's too easy, too difficult. But then if you make the puzzles easier, then people, more people complain, make them harder. Then more people complain that they're too hard. So yeah. it's it's just by following your own instincts a lot, I think. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, no. And then uh, and some people said, oh, it's very short, but then when you mentioned on the page that this game is designed to be played in one sitting. Right. <laughs> yeah, so you're, yeah. you're not exactly hiding. You're not, you're, you're not saying that this is a 20, 30-hour game. Mm -hmm. uh, you say, no, this is supposed to be a short game, you know, one or two hours or however long it takes you. Um, you know, and I always say it depends on quantity over, or no, quality over quantity. That's, you know, a game could be like 10 hours, but then another game like yours could be two hours, and your game could be better because it's more focused rather than the game is 10 hours that, um, you know, just adds a lot of padding to make it longer. So in that case, I would definitely prefer a two-hour game, uh, which, you know, like yours, so... But as we said, you know, I don't think it's, you know, I think overall the feedback seems to have been very good. It's on Apple Arcade and you've had people asking for a sequel. So you might feel proud then after you're working so hard on the game and then it's like, oh, it's on Apple Arcade and people want a sequel, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing something right. Yeah, yeah, it is good to, you know, see the positive response. And mm. uh, definitely it's always, you know, that, you know, after two years of working, you know, on, on the side in my free time. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. And so, um, but yeah, I kind of wanted to comment too on what you were saying about, I guess, the games that could be a 10 hours long, but maybe mm -hmm. have padding. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things I wanted to do is just you know, thinking about is just the kind of constraints that, you know, you put on yourself as a, uh, a developer and so that kind of goes back to what I was saying with you know can I tell a story without using any words or can I create you know have the art be not super detailed and it still you know have you know, the same kind of impact uh, or the same kind of atmosphere um, and uh, I think is working with constraints like that you can kind of go deeper rather than spreading yourself too thin by having so many different ideas and so many different story points and so many different things that you have to address it's hard to go deep on each one of them um unless it's like a i don't know 100 hour game you know seven <laughs> time to dive deep into um each point but yeah i think with constraints it's you can kind of dive deeper into some of the ideas and so it's kind of uh, you know i guess you know, something I'd like to explore more uh, in the future and the other games. Um, yeah, what other kind of constraints can I put on myself that can uh, allow allow for some interesting stuff to come up? Yeah, definitely. Well, um, yes, you mentioned, you know, putting the constraints on yourself and then, you know, just 
making sure that the game isn't, you know, there's no unnecessary padding because, uh, you know, the the older games that, you know, that we love playing as well, you know, as good as they are, there is a lot of padding on, you know, most of them <laughs> that, you know, that I think if we, if they were there now in new games, people probably wouldn't finish them. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I do agree with that. And then you mentioned as well, making this game in your free time, you have a full-time job, Apart from that, so I'm just curious to know as well, how did you get the time to make this game as well as have a full-time job as well? Did you do anything in particular? Did you set any particular times or days or did you do anything at all to help you finish this game in your free time? Um, well, I guess you know one of the things is just to have somewhat of a routine where it's like... Um, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's exactly like make your life like Groundhog Day, you know, whereas every day you just do the same thing over and over again. But it's 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 sort of close, at least when it comes to uh, stuff like this and you're working on a big project. Um, you know, I've heard, you know, writers, authors do the same thing where they're working on a book. It's just you try to make every day uh, as similar as possible, or at least that those parts, some parts of the day where you just do the same thing at the same time um and so yeah it's just kind of chipping away at it a little bit in the morning and if i have time in the evening you know work on it a little bit then um and depending on what's going on in the weekend um you know dedicate a few hours here and there um so a lot of it's just kind of chipping away at it uh day by day and um yeah just uh it's it's actually it's you know, kind of easier that way for me because I there's enough time for ideas to kind of settle and I can kind of see things a little bit more, uh, a, you know, from a distance where uh, if I was like just working at it, um, you know, 12 hours a day, then mm. it might be hard to see, you know, if I'm working on an idea that's going to work, right? Sometimes I'll come up with an idea, you know, early, like with the search, I would come up with an idea work on it and then it's like oh actually that probably isn't going to work as well because of these other things i already have in place and so i've learned to kind of you know if i have an idea just write it out first and then let it sit for a day or so and then i can kind of see it more in uh, the bigger picture and maybe i'll think of something that would you know conflict with that idea that's already in the game or something i want to happen in the game um and so yeah, having a little bit of time too, but I also have the the job I have. It's uh, it's it's pretty balanced. So I'm I do visualization work now. So it's like, um, you know, I'm not in the game industry doing those crazy 60 80 hour work weeks <laughs> like I used to. So yeah, so now things are more balanced. So I have time time for uh you know to do this on the side, which is uh, very fortunate. And um, so yeah, that helps as well. Um. Just making sure that I have that balance. Right, no, that's that's good to hear. So you don't have to crunch like a lot of uh, game developer game companies anymore, at least, which is good to hear. Yeah, 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 and um, yeah, and also, I guess just being where I am now, it's it's good too because I mean, the game industry has always been um, just so unpredictable because. Um, and when I first got into it, it was, you know, you could get hired full time for uh, benefits and everything. And 
you know, not all companies are doing that now. Sometimes they'll mm-hmm. just hire you on as a contractor for 12 months and then let you go. And then maybe they'll call you back. Maybe not. Mm. So you kind of always have, if you're in that situation and I was for a while where you would have to constantly just be looking for work. And, you know, I was freelancing for like a year or so. Um, and then it's just like, in addition to the work, you also have to be looking for work because you got to keep that, you know, keep the ball rolling because the bills don't stop coming in. Uh, mm-hmm. so, <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, I mean, that not having to think about that um, has really freed up a lot of my time as well. So, um, but yeah. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of it just comes down to uh, just dedication and uh, just trying to set some kind of a routine. Um, but again, I don't want to get like too stuck in a routine. Right. You know, I, I do, do spontaneous, you know, be spontaneous at times. Um, so yeah, it's important to have that balance, that work-life balance. Right. Okay. Well, I'm delighted to, to hear then as, as well, but yeah, so, you know, probably seems to me as well to manage your time efficiently as well that with your full-time job, but then he mentioned developer routine working on the game as well. So, uh, because I imagine a lot of developers, at least adventure game developers, are probably in a similar situation, that they have a full-time job where they can pay the bills and then they can also work on their game. So I think we've covered everything that I wanted to ask, at least, on your game. So before we finish, then, is there any... Oh, first of all, where can people... Uh, well, we've discussed that uh, the Scholar is available on Apple Arcade and... Uh, that game and the search are both also available on Steam, correct? Uh, yes, correct. Mm-hmm. And uh, where can people find you then? Did you have a website yourself? Uh, yes, I do. So, um, yeah, people can find me on my website at, at jasongodby.com. So that's all one, all one thing. And then you can also uh, find me on Twitter. Uh, I am at Godby Games on Twitter. Okay, I'll include the links there as well. So uh, is there anything else you'd like to add or mention or talk about before we finish then? Um, no. no, I think we've uh, covered quite quite a bit, but I'd say, uh, you know, again, thanks for putting together this podcast and highlighting adventure games. Because, um, you know, I you know, love adventure games and, you know, I you know, don't think they get always get the attention they deserve and so no. doing this uh, for all of us adventure game developers and adventure game fans so thank you oh, no worries and thank you as well for your help with the podcast and to everyone as well listening it's uh, possible only thanks to you guys as well it's you know, it's my pleasure to do this you know because I'm not a, a developer myself but at least this is a way that I can contribute and um and also, I keep meaning to say this in every every interview is to, you know, at least wishlist all the games, you know, on Steam. I've heard that that's important. And uh, also buy the games as, as well, if you think. Because these your games, like they're, we mentioned, they're not too long. They're not, you know, too expensive. So people could play them in a few evenings and I think get some enjoy, enjoyment out of them. And, um, and yeah, so... Uh, well, I'll be I'll be looking forward to hearing what you're up to next, Jason. I hope uh, I hope we can play another game set in the discolored universe pretty soon. And I look forward to finding out more. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Georgia.
Appreciate it. So that was my interview with Jason Godby. I hope you enjoyed it. And a huge thank you to Jason as well for joining me. Uh, He was one of the first supporters of the podcast. And he gave me a lot of encouragement. So uh, thank you for all your support, Jason. And I hope to speak to you again very soon. And I hope you get to make a sequel to Discolored. I'd be very curious to know where the story goes next. So um, now... If you want a chance to win a copy of his game, Discolored, please make sure to follow the Adventure Games Podcast at Advent Game Pod on Twitter. And we will be uh, announcing, we will be giving away three copies of the game that will be on Monday. All you have to do is retweet the tweet. And then on Tuesday, the 8th of September, I will be contacting the winners of this uh, giveaway so uh, make sure to follow on twitter if you want a chance to play this game for free i definitely recommend it and so that is it for this week i'll be back next week as always i'll be joined by laura and thomas and we'll be reviewing the latest adventure games we've been playing we've uh we'll be reviewing some demos that we played at gamescom we'll be hopefully talking about rookie and whatever else we've been playing in the meantime so until then Take care, everyone. Goodbye. So if you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a adventure game developer or adventure game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you